This week, Biden hits back against last week's poor jobs report. The U.S. has found itself caught in between difficulties between Israel and Palestine and new body cam footage, according to the attorneys of Andrew Brown Jr., prove that his shooting was unjustified. My name's Noah Huey, and this is Under the Stars. Welcome back to another week, everyone. I took last week off, and we're back again this week. The unexpectability of it. <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, we've actually got a couple uh, interesting things to talk about, and uh, I'm not going to waste too much of your time to get into them. Uh, before I begin, however, I would like to remind you to follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-E-G-H-E-Y-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. Uh, that's my Instagram. Uh, you can also support the show through uh, my merch and my books on the shop section of my website. Speaking of which, uh, last week, I officially finished and announced my new book, MAGA, The Trump Experiment, is coming out June 14th, uh, Trump's birthday. Um, I've been working on this book for roughly seven months, so about half a year since I, I think I started writing it literally about the same like week or the week after I published Yes Master. So I've been working on this book for the last seven months, and um, I think it's I think it's pretty good. It, it goes into the the psyche and uh, the politics and the, the biggest revelations of the Trump administration, which has just recently ended. And uh, I think it's going to be important because he plans on running again, we think. And I think if he does, that I think this is going to be uh, an interesting take on him. And uh, I think the book will just provide a unique uh, opinion on the Trump presidency. So uh, be, on June 14th, be looking out for that. It'll be up on Amazon. Um, that's where you'll exclusively find it, and you can also find the link to that on my website, um, which is, uh, again, you can support the show through my other books and all my merch and all that. So, last week, Friday, um, the jobs report came in for the United States for the first uh, five months, five or six months, roughly six months, of the Biden administration, and uh, it came back ex incredibly poorly, which is highly disappointing on Biden's end. So, um, economists and politicians alike were shocked by the unexpectedly tepid April jobs report. I'm sorry, not a couple months, April alone, released Friday, which showed the economy only added about a quarter of the number of jobs most were expecting for the month. The report found U.S. businesses added just 266,000 new jobs in April instead of the roughly 1 million that economists had projected. The figure would be solid in the midst of a strong economy, but was tremendously disappointing for a nation emerging from a pandemic from which... 9.8 million people remain unemployed. So uh, there's a couple takeaways that, according to the Hill, we need to find from this. Uh, one, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Um, it, I mean, no one really expected things to just be incredibly easy. Um, uh, I think this signals that we're in for a rockier road than we thought, said Robert, Robert Frick, 
a corporate economist at the Navy Federal Credit Union. Um, and he also added nobody expected it would be this early um, that the bad report would come in. Uh, child care is a massive issue. Um, their jobs report shed light on some of the current trouble spots, though, I can, though economists say more data is needed to know exactly what's going on. Uh, for example, even as overall employment rose, female un unemployment dropped, excuse me, I'm fixing the back of my jacket, dropped by uh, 8,000, while female labor participation dropped by 64,000. Um, Frick added that there are preschools and kindergartens and childcare and schools that are fractured and not open, so there are a lot of women who are now forced to stay home. they got to uh, help their kids. And while local uh, government education jobs increased uh, 31,000, they were still 611,000 lower than pre-pandemic levels. Another problem is despite the significant uptick in vaccinations, a large portion of the population is still unvaccinated in the pandemic, though greatly reduced from its winter surge, is certainly far from over. Uh, and then one of the biggest things that's really been a not just a side effect of this uh, jobs report, but it's also just been a fight between the Biden administration and between Democrats and Republicans uh, in Congress currently, is the fight over extra unemployment. So Republicans, conservatives in general, uh, have zeroed in on generous unemployment benefits as the culprit behind the slowdown. Um, quote, government paying people more and more to stay home uh, than to work has crushed the ability of businesses to get workers back. And this jobs report is evidence of that, said Adam Brandon, president of the Conserva Conservative Freedom Works Advocacy Group. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce called for repealing the additional $300 weekly unemployment benefit that is in place until September. Republican governors of Montana and South Carolina both said they would withdraw the benefit to boost employment. But debate remains fierce among economists as to whether uh, or how much additional unemployment is holding back the labor force. Quote, what is causing these supply constraints in the job market? Is it unemployment benefits that are too high? Schools that are closed for full-time uh, in-person instruction? A skills mismatch between available jobs and available workers? A lack of business startups? Nationwide Chief Economist David Burson asked in response to the report. All of these are probably playing a role, he concluded. Frick said there's little evidence to back up the idea that the expanded benefits are keeping people from working. You can look at states with higher and lower unemployment benefits, and there's no correlation with their unemployment rates, said Frick, who suggested a lack of child care, transportation issues among the reasons why low-income workers face greater challenges in getting back to work. And uh, Democrats, this as a result of this, have also doubled down and continue to double down on spending. Democrats said the report showed schisms in the economy that they aim to address through the infrastructure and family support plans proposed by B President Biden. President Biden's been heavily pushing for his uh, very hefty plans as a result of this. He's been saying, oh, we, we, we've added, we've added 1.5 million jobs and we'll add even more if we just passed my American families plan and the American, not jobs plan, that one already went through, uh, and the, their, the American this plan and the American that plan. The disappointing April jobs report uh, highlights the urgent need to pass President Biden's American Jobs and Families plans. Never mind. That one didn't get passed. Time was wrong. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said in response to the report, she said the evidence shows that women and working families need the enhancements to child care, uh, education, and other issues provided by Biden's proposals, and that this would in turn create jobs and help the economy. Vice President Harris echoed the call from furthering such investments. There are still two million fewer women in the workforce today, she said. More action is needed. Uh, President Biden said the report proved critics 
of the 1.9 trillion coronavirus relief bill wrong for suggesting that the economy didn't need the level of stimulus. Today's report just underscores, in my view, how vital the actions we're taking are, he said. Um, in general, like, who who's right here? Who really... Who should we be following? Um, and just being very, very amateurish at understanding the economy. It's, that why, it's why that's something I really want to study and focus in on in college, because I, I didn't really have enough ample opportunities. And the opportunities I did take, excuse me, I did not take very um, well early on um, here at the high school. So I'm hoping that <clears throat> I'm hoping to go to college to learn that stuff. To try to, to not learn it, but to get into it more because it, it's hard to understand on your own. I, I am perfectly willing to admit, but I do know enough to know that um, that everyone is right and everyone is also wrong. Um, and of course, we've got these experts who are saying that it's a, a multitude of things, and I completely believe that. We've got on one hand, there is the supposition that perhaps being paid not to work is playing a part in it. I know certainly that would. That in a theoretical sense, you could very easily argue that. Um, and I think it's a, probably playing a part in a lot of situations. Do we think it's the sole reason? No, I don't think it's the sole reason. Um, I mean, naturally, Republicans don't want to... Uh, oh, that was a part of the... I thought that was like a dent in the computer. Um, that's part of it. Um, naturally, Republicans don't want to spend on it because, you know, Republicans are just uh, generally... Um, not as frugal as de as Democrats um, with with spending, and that's something that I've always generally been like, yeah, there I agree with them on this, because um, I don't I think government spending and not like I don't believe in just throwing money at things and and hoping that that'll fix the issue. I do believe, however, that there are certain times and certain situations that if you if you uh, finance it correctly, so basically, if the government was financially um, sound, I would say yes, fine, whatever. Um, but I, the thing is, I don't believe the government is financially sound. I mean, we, I think our GDP is still lower than our debt now. That happened back in, I think it happened while Trump was still president. It may have been December when that happened. I, 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 I can't remember, but I do know that at some point our GDP. Our um, debt has surpassed the GDP by like four million or four um, trillion dollars, something to that extent. It's like twenty. It was like twenty-seven to twenty twenty-seven trillion to like twenty-three trillion. Um, and I think that was evidence that the government is not spending its money financial in a financially sound setting. It's just, you know, and so and and what's worse is Democrats and Republicans aren't willing to they're not really meeting in the middle despite what President Biden wants to do and what many members of Congress are trying to play it up like they're doing what they're i mean they're having like what one two maybe three meetings every every two or three weeks maybe three or four weeks and then they're like okay we did it bipartisan like apparently to them just talking to each other once every three or four weeks basically once every month means uh, that that suddenly means bipartisanship, but their actions are speaking much, much louder than their empty platitudes right now. I mean, we we've been like we've hit a roadblock here with spending, with the with the infrastructure bill, because Republicans don't want to spend a single dime on anything Biden's doing because they're too busy playing politics with all of this and trying to paint Biden up as a socialist so that and all of his Democrat 
Democratic uh, cronies as socialists so that they can uh, emotionally scare their voting bases into getting giving Republicans the House, maybe even the Senate in the in the midterms. Um, so they're too busy playing politics with it to actually do anything about it. And the Democrats are doing, uh, I would say, the same thing. For them, it's not necessarily to win any to win power. I mean, they've got power. So what they're really trying to do is they're really trying to get a political wish list through. Because everything Biden's doing is a Democrat's dream, um, which is fine. Because I mean, there's plenty of good things that have come out of what's the what the Biden administration's doing. But here's the thing: there are good things that come out of the political wish lists of either side. But the thing is, I think that's a really destructive way to run the government. Is to be like, okay, so your party has power right now, and we're just going to do whatever you want, and we'll get hurt a lot of the time if we don't have the same values as you, and we don't live the way that you expect us to under your ideological delusion. Um, and then we'll just sometimes be okay because your policies aren't all bad. Like, that's a really destructive way to run the government, in my opinion. Um, and so I think that's that's another thing that's kind of hitting us in the in the crotch here. We've got people who potentially don't want to work because they're getting paid massive unemployment benefits. And then we've got these very important issues of child care and schools not reopening and vaccination hesitancy. Um, and I think it's important that we address all of these. I mean, we, we can say, oh, that's too hard. That's too hard. But it's the reality that's sitting before us. We have to address all of the things that are clearly playing into the reason people aren't going back to work. We can't just sit here and just pick one and go, let's solve that issue, and then we'll move on. No, you have to spread out your um, your uh, efforts because this is a... I mean, believe it or not, it's a country of 330 million people, so we can't just do something that's good for the couple hundred million that do this one thing that you're looking at. And I think that's the problem that Democrats and Republicans have is because they want to face one issue at a time, they want to play politics with it, and they're not willing to compromise. So ultimately, I think a, a big reason that none of these issues are going to be faced, therefore the economic or the economy may be... Oh, oh also, I forgot to mention, the, the U.S. is also facing pretty extreme inflation right now. So that's causing problems too. And I think that a big problem behind all of that is the fact that Democrats and Republicans simply aren't willing to work with each other in any sense or form and instead want to make believe that if we just shut up the other side and do whatever the side in power wants, that everything will become perfect. But I mean, all of human history has proven that that has never happened and likely will never happen. So the... Um, President Biden responded to this, um, I believe that was earlier this week. Yeah, Monday, President Biden responded. Um, so, President Biden has changed the uh, requirements, I guess, to get unemployment benefits under the rescue plan. Um Quote, we're going to make it clear that everyone, that anyone collecting unemployment who was offered a suitable job must take the job or lose the unemployment benefits. Which to him, he said, we don't see much evidence of that. Um, uh, blah, 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 blah. Let's be clear, our economic plan is working. I never said, and no serious analyst ever suggested that climbing out of the deep, deep hole our economy is in would be simple, easy, immediate, or perfectly studied. Some months will exceed expectations, others will fall short. Republicans 
who uniformly opposed the historic $1.9 trillion recovery package, seized on the jobs reports as evidence that Biden's policies were directly harming U.S. businesses and slowing the nation's economy, uh, economic recovery, I mean, from the virus. Uh, Kevin Brady, or representative for Texas, said this is a stunning economic setback, unequivocal proof that President Biden is sabotaging our jobs recovery with the promises of higher taxes and regulation on local businesses that discourage hiring and drive jobs overseas. Um, bah, 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 bah. He also said on Twitter, Democrats are paying four in 10 jobless more to stay home than return to work. Uh, in his Monday remarks to reporters, Biden pushed back on the suggestion that funds from the progressive relief package were being abused in any meaningful way and encouraged employer, employers to offer competitive wages to court Americans back into the workforce. My expectation is that as the economy comes back, these companies will provide fair wages and safe work environments, and if they do, they'll find plenty of workers, and we're all going to come out of this together better than before. No one should be allowed to game the system." Biden said while he took allegations of fraud seriously, the government could not turn our backs on those who had lost jobs as a result of the pandemic. He placed the blame for sluggish state of the national economy on his predecessor, former President Trump, who Biden bungled, who Biden said bungled, or I, I believe that's how it's pronounced, his handling of the virus and its fallout. Uh, he said, we'll insist that the law is followed with respect to benefits, but we're not going to turn our backs on our fellow Americans. 22 million people lost their jobs in this pandemic through no fault of their own. They lost their jobs to a virus and to a government that bungled its response to the crisis and failed to protect them. Americans want to work. Um, so through a lot of this uh, jarble, you can kind of see through the... You can see that Biden is kind of, I feel like, getting on his last nerve. Like, uh, what was it, weeks ago now, I, I believe, um, I was kind of optimistic about his approach to policymaking because he genuinely seemed to be behind the whole bipartisanship thing. And every now and then he kind of jumps into a, a thing where it's like, oh, that's nice. That's something that most presidents didn't do um, with the other side. But it's becoming less and less. And the more and more that I'm seeing things and hearing what he's saying and seeing what the administration is doing, the more and more I realize that it it seems to me that he was putting on a face. I can't tell, and I'm not going to say conclusively, but more and more evidence that, that happens, I guess I should say, is pointing to the supposition that President Biden was simply playing the centrist um, to appease voters, um, which is very disappointing because that's the same kind of political manipulation and rhetoric I criticize every politician on earth for. Um, and it kind of goes to show that those of us who genuinely want that kind of bipartisanship, or better yet, nonpartisanship, and just simply working to do the right thing for people, regardless of who gets to have the glory and the fame for it, it seems to me, like, it, well, it appears to me through this, that, yes, even we can be easily manipulated. Yeah, as it turns out, all people are easily manipulated. Who would have thought? Um, and it's, it is ultimately very disappointing, though, because... I, the more and more that things happen, the less and less Biden actually cares whether or not Republicans are going to be part of that or not. I believe he even said that at some point there's probably a, a chance that he's going to have to stop working with Republicans. And his thing is he try, he he plays the same thing that Democrats and Republicans play against each other every time they pretend to try and work with the other side so that nobody will vote for third parties or independents in the next election, because ultimately what they what both of them have in very much in common is that they care more about the political power and the imposition of their ideology through government than they actually do using the tools of government to benefit the people. Um, in that kind of facade to try and make Americans 
who that who I believe they think are stupid uh, to keep them from voting for anyone else. They kind of pretend to vote to try and work together. And when the other side doesn't want to work with them, they throw some petty insult. They say, oh, it's all their fault. It's all their fault. And they move on with their day like nothing happened because it, and it's because of that action. It's only because of that that I think there's a chance Democrats and Republicans think that their constituents are morons because they sure do treat the, treat us like morons. They treat us like we're idiots, like we don't know what we're thinking or what we're talking about. And it's, it's very disheartening. Um, and uh, yeah, so the more I'm seeing Biden do stuff, the less I actually think he wants to work with the other side. I think he's just kind of playing the unity card, but he's not actually doing it. Um, and I think that's, that's for, it's a voting, it's like a give, vote for me in 2024 thing if he lives to 2024. Um, and that's a very unfortunate turn of events because I was really hoping he would be like at least a semi right step in the, in the right direction. Um, I was like, I was pleasantly surprised with his administration when we first started out and I was like, okay, so compared to Trump, this is like. This wasn't what I expected, but in the right direction. Um, Like, Trump wasn't what I expected, but it was, like, in the wrong direction in terms of at least the political discourse of it. But Biden kind of fooled me there, and the more that he does stuff, the, the more I'm realizing, oh, darn, I was a moron for even thinking that. So it's very unfortunate overall. And in terms of the economy, we can only hope that through all of this, things will get better. Um, but facing inflation and lots of joblessness and so many other issues, it's, it's going to be hard to tell. So let's cross our fingers and hope things work out, everyone. <laughs> um, I'm going to go ahead and do my ad break here. So before we continue, I want to remind you to follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-U-G-H-U-Y-N-O-A-H. Excuse me. Uh, make sure to support the show through my merch and my books on the shop section of my website. And my new book, MAGA, The Trump Exper- Experiment, is coming out June 14th. So make sure to reserve that date and get yourself a copy. So this next piece of news is highly contentious, both at home and around the world. And I think it's very important to mention because we kind of created ha- uh, half the situation ourselves. So huge, their, their tensions are soaring to new highs in Israel, between Israel and Palestine. Um, before we go into this, I guess I suppose for those of you who may not know, um, I, I, I've done the research, I did it over the last, well, I've done it before, so I know already some as it is, but I went ahead and read some more just to see what else I could figure out. And I have a very basic understanding of this, so I, I don't want to misrepresent history um, and come to the wrong conclusion. I feel like my mic thing's like bending down. Well, now it's too high. Okay, there we go. I don't, I don't know what that was. So I don't want to misrepresent history and, and come to the wrong conclusion. So I'm just going to give a basic understanding. So generally, if, if you're not aware, Palestinians and Israelis argue over uh, specifically the city of Jerusalem, but generally the whole country of Israel is, in the minds of Palestine, illegitimate because that whole area used to be part of Palestine. But in 1940, I believe it was 1948 officially, but it was started like, no, I think it was 1948 in general. In, ni- in the late 40s, right after World War One, Western powers, including the United States, I'm fixing my microphone again, uh, Western powers, including the United States, 
wanted to create like a nation state for Jews. They wanted to create a safe haven, a, a final, a home, a country where, where Jewish people could say, I'm from there. Um, because they realized that the Holocaust was another example of thousands, maybe like, maybe like, I should probably even say millions almost years of anti-Semitic attacks against Jewish people, um, around the world. And so the Western powers were like, okay, you know what? Let's give the Jews a home. Let's give them somewhere to, to, to call home. And so the state of Israel was created and it was created by telling the Palestinians who lived in a certain, um, area, uh, specifically the Gaza Strip and the, um, and Jeru oh God, and Jerusalem, which is the capital, which is the capital of Israel, um, now, uh, to basically get out. And uh, they did eventually because people showed up with tanks and guns and said, get out. And so the state of Israel was created. Now, the state of Israel has been heavily supported by the United States because one, we created him and two, it's kind of our like, it's like our, our access into the Middle East sort of. And uh, so as a result of their cooperation we often fund a lot of their military efforts like we give them a lot of the the big guns they have out there because not of the many of these nations don't have the type of weapons that israel does and that is solely because of us we we give them those guns and so it's there's a tension out there naturally i mean how would you feel if someone walked into your house and told you you can no longer use your kitchen because they think someone else should use it like to these people who are uh, majority muslims they i mean they're being told that oh sorry we don't care that you that was my chair like we don't really care that you think that this city and that this piece of land is special to you because it's where you worship as well we want these guys to do it like to them that's like hey that's unfair and, um, and I think that's a completely reasonable reaction. I have, I have no animosity towards such a reaction. And so it creates decades upon decades of conflict between the two nations because we've got the Jews who are, who are supposed to like have a home in Israel and we have the Palestinians who lost their home in what is now Israel and more specifically Jerusalem. There's a place there that is now, I believe, a mosque. I, I, I it's got the Golden Dome and it's blue. I think it is. Um, and I, uh, I forget the significance of it and, and I, it's very unfortunate that I forget the significance of it, but there is a significance. I believe that is a place that used to be a, um, they're not called mosques for, for, um, Islam. Uh, it, uh, the name's not coming to me, but it used to, it, the whole area, basically, specifically that spot there where Jerusalem is and all that, that used to be very important for Muslims and now it's become very important for Jews. And there's also the factor that based, if we look at the information, as time has gone on, Israel has found itself to be highly susceptible to political corruption and aggression against the Middle Eastern nations around them. Um, uh, Israel gets incredibly, in my opinion, uh, too overbearingly defensive of themselves. Like, like they... To put it in perspective, imagine that Israel is this small kid with a bazooka and uh, Palestine is this big tall guy with a handgun. The guy with the handgun shoots and misses at the kid's foot and the kid blows that guy off the face of the planet. That's kind of how I've seen, based on what I've read, a lot of these conflicts between Israel and Palestine, including the one that has just recently happened. Um, I think that's the general background that I am aware of. So let me now read into this and we'll get into the rest of the issue. So, 
Palestinian militants launched dozens of rockets from Gaza and Israel unleashed their new airstrikes against them early Tuesday in an escalation triggered by soaring tensions in Jerusalem and days of clashes as an iconic mosque in the Holy City. 24 people, uh, that's actually moved up now, at least like uh, some 900, almost 1,000 people um, have been hurt, including children. The Israeli military said six Israeli citizens were hurt by rocket fire Tuesday morning. The round of violence, like previous ones, was fueled by conflicting claims over Jerusalem, home of the major holy sites of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. The rival national, the rival national and religious narratives of Israelis and Palestinians are rooted in the city, making it the emotional core of their long conflict. In recent weeks, tensions have been soaring in Jerusalem, marked by clashes between Palestinian protesters and Israeli police in the old walled in the walled old city located in East Jerusalem, which Israel captured and annexed after the 1969 war. On the one of the flashpoints of the old city has been the um, Al Aska Mosque compound, the third holiest site of Islam and the holiest site of Judaism. Another driver of Palestinian anger has been the threatened eviction of Palestinian families from homes in an East Jerusalem neighborhood by Israeli settlers. Monday was a long day of anger and deadly violence, laying bare Jerusalem's deep divisions, even as Israel tried to celebrate its capture of the city's eastern sector and its sensitive holy sites. I'm getting a phone call that I'm not going to answer. Holy sites, uh, holy sites more than half a century ago. With dozens of rockets flying into Israel through the night, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu met with the top security officials uh, and warned that the fighting could drag on despite calls for calm from the U.S., Europe, and elsewhere. Hamas, the militant group ruling the Gaza Strip, fired dozens of rockets. Monday evening, setting off air raid sirens for as far as Jerusalem. The, bar the barrage came after uh, Hamas had given Israel a deadline to withdraw forces from the Al-Aska compound. By Tuesday morning, Hamas and other Gaza militants had fired more than 200 rockets. That included a barrage of six rockets and that targeted Jerusalem, some 100 kilometers, roughly 60 miles, away it set off air raid sirens throughout Jerusalem, and explosions could be heard in what believed to be the first time the city had been targeted since a 2014 war. There appeared to be some first signs of de-escalation in Jerusalem early Tuesday. Palestinian worshippers performed the dawn prayer at the mosque without confrontations as Israel apparently limited the presence of its police officers around the compound. Amateur videos showed dozens of faithful marching in the mosque chanting, We sacrifice our blood, soul for Alaska. al Ox. Have I been pronouncing that wrong this whole time? Oh, my bad. In Gaza, an Israeli drone strike killed a man in the southern Gaza town of uh, Khan uh, Yunis. I, I hope I, I'm probably butcher, butchering these names, and I apologize. Early Tuesday, according to local media reports, in another strike, a woman and two men were killed when the missile struck the upper floors of an apartment building in the uh, Shati refugee camp on the edge of Gaza City, according to Gaza Health Ministry and Rescue Services. Hamas's armed wing said it, it, it intensified the rocket barrages following the airstrike on the house. Um... And things have just gotten worse. Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, said terrorist organizations in Gaza have crossed a red line and attacked us with missiles on the outskirts of Jerusalem. He said fighting could continue for some time, that whoever attacks us will pay a heavy price, and he said warning the fighting could continue for some time. 
the tensions at the site known to Muslims as the Noble Sanctuary and to Jews as the Temple Mount have triggered repeated bouts of violence in the past. Um, it, it's a lot of stuff. It really is. And my biggest issue, however, is the way people are approaching the situation. Uh, people are approaching the situation the same way that we have approached political, social, and religious situations for the last uh, 20 to 22 years. Like, since the, the 21st century has started, uh, politics and religion, and I would even say, like, halfway through the 19th, or the, the 20th century, that, um... The way we think as a generation, as a species, has, in my opinion, become incredibly binary and simplistic. And I believe this is because, I believe the cause of this, or a root cause of this, is an education system that is increasingly becoming a failure as the world advances, yet it, it does not, if that makes sense. Like, my whole opinion on the education system, not just in America, well, more specifically in America, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in terms of education, I just mean America. I shouldn't criticize education systems around the world because other education systems generally tend to be pretty good. Like, I'm pretty envious of most European education systems. Um, depends. But, generally. So, as the world progresses, education does not, and in my, and to put it simply, I don't like using the word, but to put it simply, stupidity is becoming the new common sense. And I feel like we as a generation not just Generation Z, but the Millennials and Generation X and everyone before us, but I feel like it really starts at our parents' generation and the generation before that. The world has become such an incredibly binary uh, worldview. I mean, everyone thinks that way. Uh, something I've heard a lot from talking heads are uh, everyone views it as the oppressor versus the oppressed. And what's interesting is, is that's both sides view themselves as the oppressed. The Palestinians and Palestinian supporters in America and around the world, they view the Palestinians, oh, they're the oppressed, they're being hit by colonial forces that just want to colonize, colonize this, colonize that, let's make believe we're still in the 1600s. And then we've got the Israelis who are like, who are, you know, that's the Jews, that's the Jews, that's their homeland. They're, it's being, we gave it to them, they have a right to it, that's where their history is, yada, yada, yada. And so everyone is doing this, I'm the good guy, you're the bad guy, if you disagree with me, you're an awful human being, you hate happiness, and you want everyone to die. Like, it's a, it's a simplistic and binary mindset, when the history and the legitimacy of it is far much more complex than that. Um, generally, the way I view it is, I'm not... I, I'm not concerned about Israel or Palestine. I'm worried... Uh, I'm concerned about Israelis and Palestinians. Because those are the people that are suffering at the hand of their governments, who are, in Israel's case, highly prone to corruption. Last year alone, they had four special elections, and Benjamin Netanyahu won, I think, all four of them. Like, their government is high, highly prone to corruption. But that doesn't mean Palestine's a, like a saint either. Palestine basically sits in the pockets of Middle Eastern terrorists. And so it's... Their governments both suck, but it's the people that are that are the one pe are the ones who are suffering the cost of this. In my opinion, fairly fruitless debate. The, er, no, no, yeah, I, I would call it a fruitless debate because the thing is, 
what's here what matters here ultimately ultimately what matters is that both groups hold this place in such high attribution it's a place for them to them that that it, it's a significant symbol of their religious uh, uh not prominence is not the word i want to use but their religious uh values i guess i'll say like that's very important for that it's the same as like i mean i, I i've been raised Protestant under the, uh, under baptism, but, so it's like me going to the first church I ever went to, the church I used to go to, we would go to it every Sunday when I was, like, roughly kindergarten and first grade. It's like kindergarten through, like, second or third grade that we'd go to that same church, so, like, three or four, or, like, four to six years I'd go to that same place. Like, that's a very important place, because it's a symbol of their religious values, and to be a Palestinian, to be Palestine in the in the 40s and have that taken away from you by these Western powers who go, yeah, we don't care about your values. We care about the Jews. And to, and to not only evade, uh, 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 not evade, but to um, have you evicted from your homes and moved creates a crisis of, a humanitarian crisis, quite frankly, and then causes all, the t- all these tensions because you want to go there and you want to be able to I suppose, religiously bathe yourself in your... Did I not shut off my phone? I thought I did. I did not. Um, And let yourself be overtaken by the values that you've instilled upon yourself or that have been instilled upon you. Like, yeah, that's ultimately what matters most, which means specifically we're looking at Jerusalem and we're looking at... um, I've forgotten the name and I want to make sure I get them right. uh, The Noble Sanctuary or the Temple Mount. Like, that's where people, the site specifically in Jerusalem, that, that's where, that's what matters most. But instead of being like, so is there, is there truly no way we can compromise? Like in my opinion, when I'm really assessing this situation, it seems to me that that site and perhaps a portion of Jerusalem as a city needs to be occupied by a third party and regulated by a third party so that both Jews and Muslims can be able to go there and worship to the dictates of their heart. I mean, religious freedom is something that in the United States is very highly respected. It's it's one of the biggest, like, it was a foundation of the nation itself. The, the freedom to believe in whatever you want or in nothing at all. I mean, that that's the kind of, that's a very, very important freedom to the United States, or at least supposedly is, and I know it at least was at some point. Um, so... I don't know. That's just, it's just an idea that's floating on my head that perhaps a third party needs to intervene and be like, okay, so neither of you clearly can control this because if one of you gets it, you're going to be complete, you're going to always like, and another thing is, here's another thing, tensions rise because of the influence that their, their leaders have on them. The Israeli people see their leaders and the leaders of Palestine and Israel have such animosity towards one another. They have such an inability to be like, okay, you know what? Fine. You know, let's shake hands and let's try and work this out some way, this two-state solution that people constantly talk about. Like, so people, they see such inadept leadership and they follow it by the example it sets. Therefore, tensions rise. Therefore, airstrikes happen. Therefore, everyone suddenly is trying to kill each other over, in my opinion, a fairly trivial thing, which is very insensitive of me to say, I know, but... When it comes to social and religious issues and stuff like that, I have no true opinion because I don't care. Like, I don't care about, like, uh, oh, what is it? Like, when people talk about uh, 
any like any sociological issue i i have no interest in i have no interest in sociological things i have no interest in like the debate about like oh uh, men and women. Like, I don't care about men and women. I don't care what the difference is. I don't care if if white people have 3% more Neanderthal DNA than black people. That doesn't mean anything. It's an, ir- it's an irrelevant piece of information. Ultimately, if you're going to build a free society, it, those types of pathetic, useless sociological issues, such as race and gender and religion and all of these other things, shouldn't matter. But they do, unfortunately, because human beings are a very highly ignorant little species. And we like to think we sit on these little ivory towers of nobility and of of, of intellect, if we can call it that. And we make believe that that our ignorance is actually intelligence and it's actually nobility and wisdom. But the reality is there is not even an out of sagacity in in any of these pathetic arguments over things that generally can be uh, uh, settled if we're just willing to be like, you know what? You don't think the way I do. And that's okay. What a surprise. So unfortunately, that leads to massive violence. And that's what I'm worried about. I'm not worried about, oh, Israel is, Israel is right and Palestine is wrong. Or Palestine is right and Israel is wrong. They're both wrong, man. They're both setting a horrible example. And they're both creating this sense of cognitive dissonance and making believe that, no, only we can worship here. Not you, because I don't like your religion. Like, no, no one cares. No one's going to look at your gravestone when you're dead and go, hmm, you did not like other religions. How brave and noble. No one's going to care. So what matters most is being able to create a sense of freedom so that people of both of these very old and prestigious, not prestigious, I suppose, but very, uh, what's the word, um, venerable religions, it, it's very obvious, in my opinion, that the best thing to do is to allow both of them to come and worship and have that freedom to be able to engross themselves in the religious uh, feelings, in, in, in the... I don't know. With the, there's a word I'm looking for, and I cannot find it for the life of me. That's why I've said that same sentence like five times. We need... What's most important, in my opinion, coming from a country that... Well, not, let me not say coming from a country. Let me just say, based upon my values of freedom of true, honest liberty, based upon those values that I instill upon myself, what is most important is allowing... Because here's the thing, we can't erase history, but we can make it. So what I think is the most obvious thing, first of all, we need leaders that aren't going to set crappy examples, and second of all, we need to be, be able to have someone whether it be one of the two, if they're able to get their act together, or a third party, we need someone to take control and, and allow people to engross themselves in their religion when it's important to them. Because here's the thing, I don't care if you're atheist or Christian or Muslim or Jewish or, or whatever, I don't care what you follow or what you believe, I don't care if you're a Wicca, I don't care what you think. You have no right nor the authority to say, hmm, well, I'm better than you, so you have to do what I say. All of human history, every last part of it, has proven that whenever that happens, whether it be for religious or political or social reasons, reasons has led to destruction and death. So there's no reason for us to, st- to, to uh, stoop in our ignorance and to, and to pretend that such ignorance is a form of sagacity. It's not. We need to stop pretending that. Because otherwise, death and destruction, such as what's happening in Israel, will only continue. 
And we also need to break free from this worthless binary mindset of everyone is the oppressed versus the oppressor. That's not always the case. Sometimes everyone genuinely sucks because nobody has any form of dignity, nobody has any form of maturity, and nobody can work together to create solutions that benefit people. Not not benefit Israelis or benefit Palestinians, benefit people. We need to benefit the people that are there. And the people, both, on either side, want to be able to experience and to endure themselves into their religion, with which, drives the, which, which drives them in their lives. And it's important to allow them to have that experience. But stooping in such pathetic ignorance as Israel and Palestine and America are right now in trying to like make believe that Ah, it's us versus them. All that nonsense that does absolutely no good for anyone. That is the exact, I think, going to continue the problem. And uh, in terms of the U.S. response, I think we should promote that. I think we should work with Israel and Palestine, and we should work with potentially another third party to see what we can do to, you know, one, either create a two-state solution or something else. I mean, maybe there's a better idea out there. Who knows? But we're never going to find that idea if we continue to stoop in our ignorance and make believe that everyone has to do what I want. Guess what? Sometimes what you want is bad. That's just the the, 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 the simplest way to put it, is that sometimes what you want is crossing a line that cannot be crossed, or should not be crossed, I should say. Nazi Germany is a perfect example of that. that that's what the Nazis wanted. They wanted that. It made them happy. They thought they were doing the world a service. They weren't. They crossed a line. So, I mean, people want to make believe that, oh, well, that's just because they were Nazis and they have a very specific ideology. No, no, no. Take your stupid ideologies and put them in the trash where they belong. Ideologies aren't real. People are. And people suffer when people, when other people, especially people in power, hold withhold this ridiculous notion of ideological supremacy over the value of actual people trying to live actual lives here in the actual world. So, that's my opinion on that. That that in order to create any form of solution, regardless of what it is, whether it be two state or one state or no state or who cares, the only way we're going to even so much as be able to f like form a commission to talk about a solution is by putting aside these stupid petty differences and working out something that benefits people. Because people are what matter the most. So, that's a lot. Let me, let me, uh, all right. Thank you for allowing me that break. How long have we been going? Eh, not, not bad. So, um, one more time, follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-E-J-H-E-Y-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. You can support the show through my merch or my books on the shop section of my website. And my new book, Maga the Trump Experiment, again, is coming out June 14th. So be on the lookout for that. So, uh, new body cam footage, according to the attorneys of Andrew Brown Jr., a North Carolina man who was killed by police earlier um, this month or last month, I forget. Um, they claim that the evidence proves that the shooting was unjustified. Um, excuse me. After viewing body and dash cam footage of Andrew Brown Jr.'s death, attorneys and family members of Brown said Tuesday that it proves police were unjustified in shooting him. Brown was fatally shot April 21st when uh, Pascatank County deputies in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, were trying to execute a warrant. Chance Lynch... <laughs> 
excuse me, I read something caught in my throat. <coughs> One of the Brown uh, family attorneys said that the family were able to watch six videos. The first video was a dash cam video with no sound. The last five were all body cam footage. Quote, we were able to see some critical footage that yields some truth and transparency to what we thought would we would see from the beginning, Lynch said from a news conference Tuesday. Pascatank County Chief Deputy Daniel Fogg said Tuesday the video showed uh, the attempt to serve an arrest warrant against Brown, as well as officers' attempts to provide Brown medical care after the shooting. It was my hope that we will be able to release the video publicly so everyone can see for themselves what happened, Pascatank County Sheriff Tom, Tommy Wooden added. We respect the court's decision and took an oath to abide by North Carolina law, and we've done just that. The uh, attorney's viewing of the video comes after petitions from the Pascatank County Sheriff's Office and Media Coalition. Judge Jeff Foster issued a, a written order allowing for Brown's family and one of their legal representatives to view the videos, but they will not allow to receive copies or make recordings. The judge filed his orders. Uh, uh, Thursday night, according to a post by the county. Lynch said he saw Brown sitting in his vehicles when an officer arrived and started yelling things to Brown like, throw your hands or get out. At all times, his hands were visible. You could see he was not a threat, Lynch said. It, also, it was so much yelling, we could barely understand what was happening to begin with. A shot was fired, Lynch said, and Brown put his car into reverse several feet from where the officers were standing. At no point did we see any police officers behind his vehicle, Lynch said. At no point did we see Mr. Brown make contact with law enforcement. District Attorney Andrew Womble, who is responsible for the district that includes Pescatank County, said officers who fired the car when Brown was driving moved toward them, and the car made contact with officers at least two times before shots were fired. Lynch said he did see officers firing their weapons at Brown's car. He found it difficult to count how many shots were fired. When they approached the vehicle, we accounted approximately six, if not more, bullet holes in the passenger side of his car, Lynch said. Windows were shattered. We were able to see one shot from the windshield and approximately six bullet holes in the back windshield. Lynch said at some point there was a final shot, at which point Brown lost control of his vehicle and crashed into a tree across the street. Officers pulled Brown's body out of the car and laid him face first on the ground. No weapons were found in Brown's car after police searched it. It was absolutely unequivocally unjustified, Lynch said. Our legal team is more committed now to pursue justice because what we saw today was unconstitutional and unjustifiable. The judge ordered the sheriff's office to blur the deputy's facial features to prevent identification pending the completion of any internal or criminal investigation into the action of the, de of the deputies. Uh, two members of Brown's family and his family's attorneys were initially shown in a 20-second clip from the uh, camera on April 26, according to Daniels and other of the Brown family attorneys, Chantel Sherry Lass uh, Lassiter said the 20-second clip showed an execution. Um, uh, one of Brown's sons, who got to see the video, said Tuesday he wasn't in the wrong at all. What's in the dark will come to the light. So I, I talked about this when this first when this issue first broke ground, and I said that I would wait more information. So obviously I'm just taking people on their word again here, and uh, naturally following the state's law, uh, my state's law. I'm willing to accept the judge's uh, decision. But at the same time, I, I do think that uh, should anything being uh, said here uh, proven true, uh, I'm going to be very disappointed in those officers, and I, I, I will hope that th to see them persecuted to the full extent of the law. Um, uh, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's very interesting with these types of things. I want to make two points before we move on to the last thing of the day. Is it the last thing? Yeah. Um, firstly, plain and simple, uh, we're just taking people on their word and their interpretation of it. Naturally, they're going to 
they're going to want to believe that their father and their friend and so on was in the right. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean he was in the wrong. It just means that we can't just assume on their word that they are 100% telling the truth and they're not interpreting anything incorrectly. If we don't make such a barrier between reality and uh, 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 preference, then we create a horrible mold of the two. And then it's very hard to execute justice when everyone is just wanting to punish people for not doing what they want them to do. Um, but that also doesn't mean we should just assume that police officers are virtuous and noble and everything they do is great. Um, put simply, I think that we need to, again, just continue to wait more evidence so that we personally can see it make our own decisions and then see how it turns out potentially in a court of law or in an internal investigation. I think that's the simplest and most direct way to uh, face the issue uh, at hand. Um, so, our final thing for today, uh, Wednesday or Thursday, um, was it today, actually? No, it was Wednesday or Thursday, after being removed from leadership, Representative Liz Cheney, uh, daughter of the former Vice President Cheney, um, has a stark warning about Trump, and she's joining roughly a uh, uh, hundred other uh, I don't actually I don't remember she's joining them. There are roughly a hundred Republican uh, people threatening to create a third party, all sorts of crazy things. So Liz Cheney's been removed from her position as number three Democrat for her one choice to impeach President Trump, two refusal to say that the election was stolen, which all conclusible evi- all concludable evidence says it wasn't, uh, and uh, is now threat well not threatening is now warning that is now vowing never to let Trump ever see the Oval Office again in his life. Um, so Representative Liz Cheney is outlining her next steps in the aftermath of her ousting from the leadership, telling NBC, I intend to be the leader, one of the leaders, in a fight to help restore our party, and warning that former President Donald Trump is willing to unravel the democracy to come back to power. The Wyoming Congresswoman, and now former House Republican Conference Chair, also didn't rule out a run for president in the Today interview that aired Thursday morning, but she did confirm she will run for re-election for her House seat next year. Cheney said silence is not an option when speaking out against Trump, and she said it, uh, admonishments from her fellow Republicans to move forward are not possible because of the damage that the former president is causing is an ongoing threat. The daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney reiterated her assertion Wednesday that Trump cannot become president again. He's unfit, she said. He never again can be anywhere close to the Oval Office. For reasons that I don't understand, leaders in my party have decided to embrace the former president who launched that attack, Cheney said, and I think you've watched over the course of the last several months the former president get more aggressive, more vocal, pushing the lie, and I think that's really import, an important thing for our people to understand. This isn't about looking backwards. This is about the real-time current potential damage that he's doing, that he continues to do. She added, it's an ongoing threat, so silence is not an option. Cheney lost her post in the House, in the House Republican leadership on Wednesday after publicly rejecting for months Trump's lie that he won the 2020 presidential election and calling out the former president for his role in inciting the January 6th deadly cap riot at the Capitol. 
The House GOP conference ousted Cheney by voice vote during a 16-minute meeting, and she's likely to be replaced by Republican Representative uh, Elise Stefanik of New York. Cheney said she is very focused on making sure that our party becomes, again, a party that stands for the truth and stands for fundamental principles that are conservative, and mostly stands for the Constitution, and I won't let the former president or anybody else unravel the democracy, whatever it takes. She called the former president's hold on the party very dangerous and a cult of personality. I think that people were betrayed and misled by him, Cheney said. It's a real betrayal. He's going to unravel the democracy to come back to power. As for minority leader Kevin McCarthy, Cheney said he is not leading with principle right now and called in a recent visit to Mar-a-Lago to see the former president stunning. She has also placed blame at the feet of McCarthy, a California Republican, saying he's not leading with principle, and I think that is sad and I think it's a disgrace. Cheney passed, pressed, I mean, fellow Republicans to embrace a bipartisan January 6th commission to get the truth out of what happened on the day and that there should be no reason why there should be any resistance. The real concern, there is real concern among a number of members of my own party about a January 6th commission. And I think you, and I think you know, and you think you know, I've been very public that that commission needs to be bipartisan. It needs to look only at January 6th and the events leading up to it, not at the BLM and Antifa riots last summer. I think that intense, narrow focus threatens people in my party who have been playing a role they should not have been playing, she said. Each time we have something happen in this country that is kind of a crisis, we have a commission, and there's no reason why there shouldn't be any resistance to doing so in this case. When asked if she was going to play the role of the opposition leader in exile to the Republican Party, Cheney said she is intended to help restore her party and, in a fight to make sure that won't pr- participate in real dangerous effort that's underway. But when pressed that she's not of her leadership role and Trump seemed to be victorious in her recent skirmish in the Senate, Cheney quipped, actually, I'm in office, and he's out of office. Um... So there's, uh, it's a very interesting situation, honestly. I, 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 my respect for Representative Cheney has increased quite intensely because she's one of the few Republicans. Because an interesting thing is a lot of Republican representatives behind closed doors very obviously don't believe the election was stolen. But so many of them are claiming it. And I think it's not because they believe it, but I think it's because it's a, it's a very easy strategy to go behind. Like I said, politics today in the 21st century is incredibly simplistic and binary. It's got such a ridiculously stupid tint to it of everyone who disagrees with me is a socialist, everyone who disagrees with me is a white supremacist, everyone who disagrees with me is evil and hates you. Like, all of these things are quite clearly rhetorical manipulation created to man- created to manipulate people uh, by their weak emotions. And I think the fact that Democrats and Republicans do exploit such emotions... Uh, instead of running on the values that they think should have, uh, should be uh, preserved by the government, um, quite clearly shows that they care more about forcing those values on people by imposing them through the government rather than using the government to ensure that people who agree with them are able to keep the freedom they have to withhold those values. Representative Cheney, on the other hand, I believe, really does want her party to stand for the values that she believes in and stand for such values in a means that uh, doesn't require people to lie about something that never happened, um, otherwise known as uh, a stolen election. Um, in general, I- I'm interested to see just what happens after this. Um, 
I'm interested to see if she gets reelected. And if she truly does think about running for president in 2024, I'll keep a close eye on that because, again, 2024 is the first election in my life that I'll get to vote in. So I will have a... a, a I'll have my first opportunity to actually vote for someone. So I don't know. I, I am, I'm interested to, to, to see what happens. And um, I, I'm not sure what else to say about that, actually. Other than I agree with her, I think that Trump's hold on the Republican Party is a complete disaster. And uh, actually, you can read more about it in my book, MAGA, The Trump Experiment, coming out June 14th on his birthday next month. Uh, <laughs> Shameless plug. Um, but genu- genuinely, though, uh, I think that Cheney has shown some real courage here. I think she's she's shown that she's got a real spine. She's not willing to lie, or at least tell what she believes to be a lie, what most evidence concludes is a lie, about the election. Um, and she's willing to actively ensure that people like Trump are never elected into office again, which I think is a, a good thing. I, I, I don't think Trump deserves the presidency. I think he's... a uh, He's just as bad as every Washington politician known to man. Just because he says he's an out Washington outsider doesn't actually mean he is one, or it doesn't actually mean he acts like one, because he never did. He never did. Everything he did was the same as every other uh, politician and presidency ever. So clearly, that was a lie. Um, other, other than that, I genuinely like... I think it's unfortunate she lost her position, but at the same time, I also don't care about... Uh, Republican or Democratic positions because, again, ideologies aren't real. People are. And that's what matters most to me. So, uh, in terms of, like, what things I actually care about, what things I think should be focused on is the fact that I think Cheney has a real spine for standing up to her party for generally peddling a lie, whether it be because they're delusional and want to follow this ridiculous notion of ideological supremacy, or because they are uh, principle, they are unprincipled and follow power instead of actual preservation of freedom and democracy. So, um, yeah, that's that. I, I'm, I'm interested to see how that turns out, and I'm, uh, I guess, proud of, of Representative Cheney. Other than that, thanks so much for listening, and it's been a pleasure talking with you. So uh, make sure to follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-E-G-H-U-Y-N-O-A-H. I've got actually a sneak peek from the MAGA book there. Um, and I'll post more of those in the next couple of weeks. I also, it's just, you know, Instagram. That's what it is. Uh, if you're interested in supporting the show, I've got merch and my books in the shop section of my website, which can be found in the length of my of my bio on Instagram. Or if you just search up Under the Stars with Noah Huey on Google, it's like one of, I think it's the first thing that comes up. Um, also, I've not mentioned this yet, but go listen to On Top of the World with Levi Wallen. Uh, it's a uh, sister show of Under the Stars that just right now has its first episode out about uh, the the Armenian genocide in Turkey and all that stuff that happened there. And uh, we'd really appreciate it if you check it out. It's also on Spotify and Breaker and all those other places, but it has its own website, which is also linked on my uh, website as well. And again, uh, June 14th, make sure to be watching Amazon for my third book, MAGA, The Trump Experiment. I go into all of the Trump presidency and all of those things, and I think it's going to have a... I think it has a fairly unique take on the presidency uh, of Donald Trump. So that's it. Thanks so much for listening in, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.